episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Here on this podcast, we discuss various topics like pop culture, news, politics, and more. And I am the host of this podcast. My name is Shakira. Welcome back for a brand new episode. And let me just say, um, first of all, I apologize for not having an episode for you on Tuesday. This episode is coming out on a Thursday. And guess when I'm recording it? Wednesday night poor time management I know I know I know anywho I am recording it right now in the studio and I have been wrestling and struggling with this microphone for the past hour and a half so I really hope and pray that the sound is flawless when I finish and I pray that I don't lose any of this information this recording all of that so if you're listening that means that it went off without a hitch maybe with maybe not without a hitch but let's just say it went off so welcome back to a brand new episode and bear with me throughout this episode um this is my first time recording on this particular mic and I might be giving y'all too much information I don't know but I feel like y'all my friends so whenever I come on here and talk I'm just like giving you the real it's not always peaches and cream with this podcasting stuff sometimes it is difficult and sometimes I want to say forget this um but you all just keep me going and while I am talking about keeping me going I want to say thank you to every single last person who is a listener whether you listen to one episode two episodes 30 episodes because it's crazy that we have more than 30 episodes if you've listened to every episode if you've binged if you've sent it to your friends your aunt your cousin them thank you I am so appreciative and literally words cannot explain and I know that sounds so cliche but words literally cannot explain how happy I am that you all are a part of this family and I said that because I have gotten so much love lately from you all whether it be messages um dms you know giving me stories about things that you've been going through and how you shared it with your friends or you shared it with your co-worker um today Ingrid she's a part of the carefree family she wrote me and said that her and her roommates listen to the podcast when they're at home and she also asked for a part two to um internalize racism because they knew it was a thing but didn't know there was a word for it so and I I love that I love that people aren't ashamed or afraid to say you know I knew that something was off with this but I could never give a name to it and I'm thankful that I'm able to help you all with that and also I'm thankful for everyone who's come up to me recently who who listens to the podcast and happens to live in the same city that I live in um and most of the time the conversation starts off like you're the girl with the podcast, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am the girl with the podcast. So I'm appreciative um, and thankful for each and every one of you. If this is your first time listening, we welcome you to go ahead and join our carefree family. So you'll be notified every time we have a brand new episode, which usually is every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Um, you know, today's different. Today's Thursday, <laughs> but Usually it's every Tuesday at 9 a.m. I am in the middle of midterms right now. And you all know that this is the semester that I am graduating. So, you know, my time management has been like not the best. I'm not going to lie because I have so many projects and 
different things, school things, life things going on, work things, internship things that it's, it gets kind of hard to juggle everything. I feel like I need an assistant, to be honest. But thank you again. That's my little update. You all know how this goes. We're going to have our carefree updates and then we're going to hop into our topic of the day. This is the last day in October, which means that this is the last episode of Blacktober. And you all know that Blacktober was discussing black issues facing the black community. So it's bittersweet. I wanted to double up this week and talk about two topics, but we're just going to talk about one. And I feel like it's the perfect topic to end Blacktober. So hang tight. So I feel like every time we get on here, it is kicking off with some sad news. We are really losing our legends and it is blowing my mind. So last night, John Witherspoon, you all may know him as Pops because that is what I know him as. He passed last night at his home. He was 77 years old. So you may know him from Friday. You may know him from Boondocks. You may know him from um, the Wayans Brothers show where he played their dad and D was the security guard. You may know him from a number of different television shows um, and movies and just his comedic genius I was devastated when I found out the news because it is just you know you you don't feel like people are going to be here forever but you also don't think about them not being here at the same time and I guess like whenever things like this happen it is a reminder that indeed we are here for a little bit of time you know and it's up to us to make the best of that time and the most use of that time and I feel like he did an amazing job with using his talent and his gift to bring joy to people to make people laugh to make people smile and give lessons in the process because if you look back at so many things that he's been a part of granted I know there were writers involved but the talent that he brought to the lines that he delivered where he was actually serious in those roles you know like when even in Friday when Craig was about to go out with the gun and he comes in his room and he gives him you know a lesson about gun like use your hands fight like a man all of those things whether we realized it or not were um definitely lessons that we can take with us throughout our life and I'm appreciative to that so sleep in peace to him and I'm so thankful that I live during a time where I can remember and experience his talent and his gift and his works also I want to send condolences to the family of Camille Cupcake McKinnon She was McKinney. I'm sorry. She was the three year old girl that went missing in Alabama. Apparently she was kidnapped from a birthday party and I watched a video last night. It was like an hour long, but it detailed almost, I mean, everything that this case involved from apparently the mother had dropped her off at a birthday party whoever's birthday party it was the mom of the child she didn't know the child and I think she was asking people you know whose child is that but then they fed her anyway and my um 
I don't even want to honestly go too deep into it, but I feel like if there is a lesson to be learned in any of this, which is so hard to even think about, like using this as a learning lesson because a little girl lost her life. Um, If there is a lesson within any of this, I want people to know that everyone should realize that every, let me see, everybody does not have children's best interests at heart. Everybody does not have adults' best interests at heart. So you you really have to be cognizant and aware of who you are allowing your children to be around and who you are allowing yourself to be around if you don't have children because everybody does not have the same heart as you. There are people out here that have no remorse, who have no human empathy, no human sympathy. I mean, and I hate to say it, but there are monsters out here, monsters of people, and you really have to be cognizant and aware of that. And I don't say that for you to be afraid or scared to live your life. Live your life, definitely. But also just be more self-aware and watch who you have your children around. And I will say, you know, last night when I was watching the video and I saw where they were like, oh, her mom dropped her off at a birthday party and she... I think she dropped her and her little brother, her and her big brother. I think the brother is like 11 years old. I may be wrong, but she dropped him off at a birthday party. And, you know, while I was thinking about it, while I was watching the video, I was like, how can a mom do that? Like, how can a mom just drop their child off at a party and children off at a party and not know these people and just go on about her merry way like how could she do that and then like 30 minutes later I thought about it and I was like Shakira think about your little cousins like there have been times where my little cousins have had birthday parties or my cousins have thrown block parties and there have been random children at the party and I'm looking around like whose child is that you know like who are they here with? And literally ask people, who whose child is that? Who are they here with? Um, And watched out for them. And it wasn't a thought of like, oh, they're not one of ours, so I'm not going to watch them. Or I don't know their mother, so I'm not going to watch them. I really want us to get back our sense of community and get back our sense of just care about one another. No, you may not have known the child. No, you may not know a random child at a party or in a store or anything like that. But don't be scared to say, hey, where's your mom? Or, you know, if ask the adults around the party, do you know who her mom is? Like, we need to call her mom and tell her to come get him. So that's, you know, that's what really bothered me the most about the whole situation because I was reading like some of the comments of the mother who threw the party and she was just kind of like well it wasn't my responsibility to watch her I didn't know her and I, I just I don't I don't know like she didn't have any sense of remorse and I I don't know I don't know I don't know but again if there's any lesson to be learned I hope it is that we can gain our sense of community back 
and we will watch out for one another regardless of whether you know somebody or not it's just be a decent human being like just be a decent human being that's all that I ask and I feel like you know granted everything happens for a reason I do believe that Romans eight twenty eight is my favorite Bible verse because it says that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose and I feel like Everything that happens to us is never by happenstance. Nothing is by chance. Everything happens for a reason. But this one, you know, it really, really bothers me because I I think about, you know, what if somebody cared enough to watch her? What if somebody cared enough to ask her, hey, where is your mother? Where is your father? And it, it just bothers me. It bothers me to no end. So, I don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. Watch little children. And then, while I'm on the topic, I just came from the store. And, you know, I'm in the store, and I see this little girl. I'm on the aisle by myself. I see this little girl. She's probably the same age as Camille, three years old. I don't think she was older than four. And she's on the aisle by herself. Like, skipping down the aisle and I'm like hey where's your mother and I can hear her mother yelling her name across the store and in the back of my mind I'm thinking have you not watched the news like have you not been keeping up with what's going on on the news come over here and get your child so I don't know y'all if you have children kiss them hug them tight hold them tight tonight and every night and if you have nieces and nephews cousins godchildren, you do the same and also don't be scared or afraid to ask children if you see them alone where are your parents that's it it's that simple now with that being said i watched um not not with that being said this is a completely different topic i was watching a clip on social media apparently Yara Shahidi and Barack Obama sat down for a chat but it was in front of an audience I think she was just kind of like asking him questions and everything and he has some very interesting points on cancel culture and how people within our age range um young people are so quick to cancel other people on things that they've done and really don't give people the room to grow and learn. And I thought it was really interesting, so I want to play that clip for you all. But I do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV, watch my show, watch Gronish. Um, you know, that's not that's not activism that that's not bringing about change you know if if if, if all you're doing is casting stones uh you know you're, you're probably not going to get that far that's easy to do now he said a mouthful and i agree with everything that he said and he definitely um 
told me about myself <laughs> because I will admit that I am one of those people that is quick to like, oh, get them out of here, like get them out of here right now. Um, sometimes I will show leniency, but I feel like when it's subjects and matters that I am very sensitive about, especially when it comes to black people, when it comes to children, when it comes to LGBTQ plus um, individuals within that community, when it comes to immigrants. Well, I guess I'm sensitive about a lot. <laughs> like, I, I'm sensitive about a lot. But, you know, things like that, I just really do not let them fly because I feel like if you do it one time, you'll do it again. But OK, I feel Barack over my shoulder right now telling me Shakira get it together um so yeah I thought it was interesting to share with you all it is something that I will be remembering and if you want to remember instead of like canceling people right off the bat then go ahead and remember that I just wanted to share it with you all right now let's have our um I can't think of what the name is a break (laughs) our break for our sponsors and then we'll be back to talk about our topic of the day Shakira from the future here. Now, um, there were some technical difficulties in this episode. So if you hear any audio that doesn't sound quite right or it sounds sped up, that is why. Just giving you a fair warning. All right. Enjoy the topic. All right. So again, we are in Blacktober. Well, we're at the end of Blacktober. Blacktober, we talked about a variety of different topics and subjects that I felt were imperative for us to just discuss and be more aware of as a community. Um, We started off with what is misogynoir, which is where race and gender intersect for black women and how that really affects us. And then we talked about, um, oh girl, what else we talked about? We talked about systemic racism, part one and part two, and how different institutions within the United States and maybe even across the globe, but I can only speak for here in the U.S., how these institutions work together for the oppression of minorities, more specifically black people. We talked about it within healthcare, within real estate, within education, um, within the prison industrial complex and within one other thing but you know you can go back and listen to that if you haven't already heard it and then we talked about what is internalized racism and that is just how we as black people can sometimes um embody the same racism that has been dished to us and how sometimes that will show up as people using preferences as a disguise for you know really just not liking black features whether it be hair texture whether it be um, body types how people speak and also how sometimes black people will distance themselves from other individuals within their community because they feel like those people embody stereotypes that they don't want to be associated with all of that is internalized racism and if you have not heard that you can go back and listen to it it is the one right before this but today we are talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart um granted all of it is near and dear to my heart just black issues period but this one is a little more I'm a little more sensitive to it because today we are talking about gentrification a word that we've all heard I am sure so 
before we can talk about gentrification, we need to know what it is, right? So if we visit Merriam-Webster, gentrification is defined as the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area, such as an urban neighborhood, accompanied by an influx of middle-class or affluent people, and that often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poorer residents. Now, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they define gentrification as the transformation of neighborhoods from low value to high value. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. I have some issues with that phrasing, the wording of it, Um, but we'll talk about that. Now, gentrification was first coined in England in 1964. The author who coined the term was Ruth Glass. Now, I'm not going to get into the history of it because I want to talk about today. Anyone who knows me personally knows that I grew up, um, I grew up, let's just say I spent most of my youth and even today in the south side of town, and I've spoke about this before here on the podcast, but the south side of town where I live is predominantly black. Um, I watched a presentation last week, actually, about the transformation of south side, and I saw that the presenter, um, she said that it was named South City. That was my first time hearing it named South City in my 25 years. It was always called Southside. And that says a lot about gentrification as well. Now, I want to talk about gentrification because in me growing up on the South Side of town, I went to daycare on the South Side. Um, My brother went to school on the South Side. And whenever I was at his school, I was on the South Side. I went from kindergarten through 12th grade on the South Side. FAMU, the college that I went to, is located on the South Side. So I've been on the South Side of town for my entire life, basically. I just now went across the track Um, for graduate school and I say across the track because it is literally across the tracks and if you know anything about the south and how towns used to be back in the day um, some people don't know this so let's talk about it Um, there would be cities and towns usually small towns sometimes big towns where and I think this was up north as well where the town would be split in two so you would have the side where most black people lived and you would have the side where most white people lived and in between those two would be a railroad track which is why we say across the tracks in the city that I live in, FAMU is on one side, and then on the other side of the tracks is Florida State University, which is where I attend graduate school. Now, Florida State University and FAMU have had a history in the past. Um, first of all, FAMU is an HBCU, which is a historically black college university. And if you know anything about HBCUs, they were formed because universities did not want to educate black students. So they had to take it upon themselves to create their own institutions of higher learning, which is where we got HBCUs from, which is why I have so much respect for HBCUs, because they gave us an education when other people didn't want to. And I don't see why people crap on HBCUs so much, because HBCUs deserve the world you know they loved us when no one else did so I'm not going to even get on that soapbox but anyway FSU is a predominantly white institution 
I'm a minority over there. I went from being the majority to the minority. But again, FSU and FAMU have a history. Um, they are the two basically the major universities within the city of Tallahassee. Um, they fought for funding and, you know, FSU has major donors. Of course, FAMU does not have the same. Um, they've given us things, you know, they gave us a scoreboard for football and they throw that in our face every chance they get. And I say they, even though I go to the school because, you know, I got to fight for home team first. So um, more specifically, there is a college of engineering under FAMU. And someone was just giving me the history of this. I never knew the direct history of it and why it had joined to become FAMU slash FSU College of Engineering. I knew that it was FAMU's first, but I did not know why FSU had gotten it as well. So apparently, well, according to the person that was telling me, when you are, I think where if you have two universities in the same city or something like that, um, they can't both have that kind of school or get the same kind of funding. It's something like that, y'all. Um, I'll put it in the description of this podcast if I find out, you know, the information, if I find like a link to specifically what she was saying. So basically... FSU wanted a college of engineering as well, so they had to join with FAMU, and they have fought tooth and nail for years and years and years to try to get that school, you know, just for themselves and not have it in conjunction with FAMU, which is ridiculous. And outside of that, there have been other struggles. Now, one of the struggles recently that I have definitely been noticing is gentrification. So as we talked about, gentrification is, you know, taking low income or urban areas and gentrifying them to become high value areas where people will move into people who have more money, more influence, et cetera, et cetera. Now, FAMU, again, is on the south side of town and in between is a railroad. Now, I have always wondered in my heart of hearts why FAMU never used funding? Granted, I know they don't have as much as Florida State, but I always wonder why they never used funding to buy different spaces and areas around the university so that they can have a chance to expand. More recently, um, those areas have been brought up, purchased. So um, there is a street that runs in between. It is called Gang Street. And it used to be, I can't even remember how it looked before, um, but now it is nothing but student housing, apartments for students at Florida State. And granted, there are some students that go to FAMU that live in those apartments, but the rent on them is just so expensive that most students, I will say, that attend FAMU don't have the funds to pay rent there. There was also a bookstore that had been there for years and years and years since before I could remember. Um, and I, I want to say he was there like 40 years on that street. And then it just so happened that they started building these apartment buildings and all of these businesses on that street to accommodate the students at Florida State University. And his building burns down. And I was in a car accident earlier this year in 
February, I believe it was February. And, you know, while I'm waiting, I was talking to the officer that showed up and he was just talking about the bookstore. And he was telling me that when the um, what are the people called that buy land and stuff, the girl, I'm blanking, the people that come and, you know, purchase land, the developers, when they came and approached him to purchase his bookstore, he said no, because he had been there for so long and there was no amount of money that would buy him out of that space because that was his livelihood. That was the only thing he had, really. And he told him no. Mysteriously, you know, they throw up these buildings all around him and then his bookstore burns down a few months later. Mysteriously. Now, he'd been there for years. I'm telling you, over 40 years he had been in that space. And mysteriously, a bookstore burns down and it happens in the middle of the night. So now the lot is empty. And I was just I was heartbroken when I found out about it because I was heartbroken for him because I can't imagine having something for years that you love and that you care about. And then you wake up and in the blink of an eye, it's gone. Like everything that you've worked for, your livelihood, your love and your passion is just gone down the drain. And I'm not going to say that they burned it down, but, you know, sometimes you can read between the lines and sometimes coincidences aren't coincidences. And the officer was, you know, telling me all of this. And I was like, you know, wow, that's crazy. And I said, so is he able to sell the land now? And the officer now, y'all, this is a police officer telling me he was like, um, you know, he after it happened, the bookstore owner approached the developers and was saying, you know, I don't have anything anymore. So, you know, can I sell you the property? Literally, there's nothing there, y'all. Like, when I tell you it burned down, it burned down. There is nothing there now but gravel. And he approaches them and they say, no, we're not going to buy it. <laughs> so when he, you know, when he declined their offer, I think they approached him again, and then he dec he kept declining. So they changed their plans for the buildings and just built around him. But still, the bookstore burned down, and my heart breaks for him. But all of that, you know, I'm just giving you the story. Well, he, I'm just telling you what he told me. Um, but, you know, that happens not just here. That happens across the globe. Things like that happen. Mysterious fires, um, mysterious robberies. And sometimes those things happen to try to get people to force their hand to sell their property or their business or their livelihood or to get people to move. And that's what I don't like about gentrification when you have people who have been in an area for years and years and years. And instead of coming and making, you know, that area better, possibly around them and really incorporating their business or their residence into that revitalization of the area, you want to just take, take, take. That's my beef with gentrification. That's what I don't like about it. And I understand that there are some people that are like, well, gentrification is good for the neighborhood. Gentrification is good for people that live in the area. Most of the time, gentrification rises, causes the prices of rent and housing to rise in an area where the people that live there, the individuals that have been living there for years and years and years are priced out and are forced to move. That's what gentrification does. So on an article from The Atlantic, 
let me see. Let me give you the title of it because you can go and read it for yourself. The title is This is What Happens After a Neighborhood Gets Gentrified. And it starts off like this. Back in 2014, Spike Lee famously expressed his disdain. By the way, I love Spike Lee. <laughs> he famously expressed his disdain for the forces of gentrification in New York. Quote, why does it take an influx of white New Yorkers in the South Bronx, in Harlem, in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights for the facilities to get better? He argued. What about the people who are renting? They can't afford it anymore. Lee's criticism reflect a now familiar narrative in cities all over the U.S. As wealthier residents flow back into once low income, often minority neighborhoods, longtime residents are priced out. Now, further down in the article, um, a paragraph says that a 2010 study on who gentrifies low-income neighborhoods found that the impact of gentrification on black residents varies based on level of education. So basically what they found is that middle class to upper class black people will move back into neighborhoods that have been gentrified But those that are less educated, so those that have less than a high school education are forced to move because they can't afford to live there anymore because with that gentrification becomes, you know, an influx in pricing um, as far as rent. And then I was reading also where I believe it was in San Francisco or Los Angeles. One I know this has been definitely happening in um, California where they have been raising the rent. And it's not just black people. It was a um, a white lady. She did an interview and she was saying, you know, I believe she was in her 60s. She was retired and she had lived in this building for years, pay her rent, pay her rent. And then one day she gets a notice in her mailbox like, oh, rent is going up two hundred dollars. And she's like, what? And then, you know, next thing she knows, a few months pass again rent is going up 300 more dollars and she's like I can't afford to live here anymore I'm on a fixed income and there's barely any housing for me anyway and especially in areas like um, Los Angeles and San Francisco where the cost of living is extremely high gentrification does take a toll on the residents those that are minorities those that are low income those that are you know, on limited income, who are retired, um, fixed income. That's what happens. And that's what gentrification does. Now, I would not mind gentrification if it first, um, if it's done right. Like if you are catering to the people that are already there, if you have a plan to not raise their rent to a price that they're not going to be able to afford anymore, I'm okay with that. If you plan on beautifying the area, I'm okay with that. But I am not okay with, um, you know, letting the area be a food desert for years to the residents that live in those areas. And then as soon as you start trying to buy the land up and move a specific type of person in or individual in, then you want to build grocery stores and Whole Foods on every corner. Like, (laughs) I don't like that. And I know that the south side of Tallahassee, where I live, is an area that is a food desert. There is no Walmart on the south side. There is no Publix on the south side. There is no Winn-Dixie. There used to be a Winn-Dixie. And there is no Winn-Dixie anymore. The only thing that is on the south side for residents 
again, that are predominantly black to get food is a Piggly Wiggly and a Save-A-Lot. A Piggly Wiggly and a Save-A-Lot. That's what's on the south side of town. Now, if you're going to gentrify the area, make a grocery store for the residents. Period. So I also found an interesting article. It's very short on Investopedia.com, and the title is just gentrification. And the first heading says breaking down gentrification. So I'm going to share this with you. And it says that gentrification is often defined by the steady increase of residents and retail establishments that take advantage of lower property prices due to being in a less desirable location. These new residents improve upon the area so that the values steadily increase over a shorter than normal period. The resulting impact often displaces the original occupants who can no longer afford to reside where they once did due to their lower income levels. Improvements to other parts of the neighborhood may soon follow, including community resource centers and the surrounding infrastructure. This is a result of the local government being able to collect higher taxes on the increased property value and from local transactional fees, such as transfer taxes and title fees. And then it goes on to say that there are two sides of gentrification. Gentrification has become a controversial term in the recent years. It was once thought to have a positive effect on areas where economic growth has stagnated or decreased. However, these days it is seen by some as part of a larger racial issue. Although gentrification of urban areas generally brings increased economic growth to the area, it displaces the original lower income residents, many of whom have lived there for generations. Once the areas have been improved upon to attract more affluent residents, the original population must relocate to a less desirable low-income or high-crime area. The effect isn't just on residential residents, as small retail shops and industrial complexes can be displaced in the process as well. Recent examples of gentrification can be found all over the country. In Pennsylvania, the Fishtown section of Philadelphia has recently experienced a large rate of development and growth. Just a decade ago, most of the row homes in the area were selling for under $100,000. These days, some of the same homes are being sold upwards of $300,000. This is in large part due to investors and young business professionals taking advantage of the lower real estate costs, purchasing businesses and homes, and then making improvements that allow them to resell them for a profit. This is commonly known as flipping, and it can create a rapid increase in real estate values. This can create a property value bubble which, when it bursts, could leave homeowners with properties whose values have decreased over time. This puts homeowners in a position where they may owe more on a property than it is worth and may be unable to sell the property now that the demand in the neighborhood has leveled out. It can also cause potential new residents to be priced out of a now desirable area. So I understand that some people, you know, are for gentrification, and I get it. I get it. I'm not saying that impoverished areas or low-income areas should remain the same. I'm not saying that um, we should just keep the neighborhoods as they are just for nostalgia's sake. I want to see lower-income and black neighborhoods have more resources. I want them to not be a food desert. I want them to not just have a McDonald's and a Burger King and a Taco Bell on the corner. I want them to have healthier options in food. I want them to have 
neighborhoods that are safe. I want them to have community centers that they can go to to get education and take classes and use the computers to be able to do yoga. <laughs> like, I want those neighborhoods to be able to do that, but I want them to be able to do that without being priced out because you have more affluent quotes around that, more affluent individuals moving in and then forcing them out of the neighborhoods. I just feel like there are ways to do that without that happening. And one of the things that I saw on Twitter, it was a few months back, but um, this guy tweeted and he was like, don't sell grandma's house because someone approaches you with an offer, um, especially when grandma is not able to make the decision on her own and you're making the decisions for her. Don't do that to her. Like, keep that property. And we have to, I feel like there are many solutions to the issue. One, we have to be bigger advocates for our communities. We have to start fighting for our communities. We have to start going to town hall meetings and meeting with government officials and telling them, hey, we need a grocery store. It's a food desert where your minorities live or where you have a higher population of minority people. We need a grocery store. We need healthier food options. We need safer neighborhoods. We need for the police not to just ride through our neighborhood to patrol us. We need them to ride through because they want to get to know the individuals within the neighborhood, not just to see, you know, what, who they can lock up today. That's what we need to start doing. And we also need to start putting our money back into our communities. I say this all the time and I'm never going to get tired of saying it, but we need to start putting our money back into our communities. Black women are, and this, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not just putting all of this on black women, but black women are the most educated group of people in the United States. That's fact. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, so we have to start coming up with ideas like, hey, what are we going to do about this? If this is something that you care about, if you don't, cool. I'm not judging you. Um, but we have to start coming up with ideas and ways to put money back into our neighborhood, develop programs and centers for our neighborhoods. And we are... Growing wealth, I do believe that black people as a whole are growing generational wealth. We're trying to grow generational wealth, and we have to put some of that money back into our community because it is an investment, not just for today, but for years and years to come. Think about years ago when we had black neighborhoods with black businesses and we shopped within those centers. There's another area of town that's called Frenchtown that was the hub for black people to shop and spend money and socialize back in the day. And then when segregation was thrown out the window and integration came into play, black people stopped spending their money in the black neighborhoods because it was like fresh and new. We can shop at the mall now. We don't have to enter through the back door. We're going to spend our money there because it's just this idea of being able to have something that you didn't have before. So now I'm a strong proponent of spending your money, spending your dollars where you can with black businesses, not just clothes, not just t-shirts, um, you know, online and stuff like that. That's 
cool, I do that. But also in your black grocery stores, in your black pharmacies, they do exist. <laughs> they do exist. Um, and you just have to seek them out because they are still alive and well. Um, I, hmm, do I want to say this? I'm going to say it. Um, one thing that I do not like is how we are so quick to spend our money with individuals who do not pour anything back into our community. I went to a hair store recently. And while I was in this hair store, I was, I did not like the way I was treated. Um, and it's not coming from a sense of entitlement or anything like that. I don't like being watched when I'm in a store. I feel like if I come in here to purchase something, I'm not going to steal it. I'm not going to run out of the door with it. You don't have to watch me from the time I walk in the door to the time I leave. And the same thing happens at gas stations. And if I feel like that is happening to me, I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to spend my money with you. And granted, I'm one person, but I have a mom. I have nieces. I have nephews. I have a dad. I have cousins. And I'm going to tell them, <laughs> don't spend your money there. And we have to start doing that as well. Stop spending your money with these people who do not care anything about you. People come to our communities all the time, create businesses, more specifically gas stations, hair stores, because they know that we are going to spend our money there regardless. And they don't use any of that money to pour back into the black community, into the population of people who are spending the majority of the money with them. And I, that's something that really bothers me. So we just have to do better. We have to do better. We have to put money back into our communities. We have to start fighting for our communities. We have to start attending these meetings when they are making decisions for our communities. We need to be in attendance. And that's that's that on that. <laughs> like, I feel like that's all that I have to say about gentrification because it's happening everywhere. It's happening at an alarming rate. Look at New York. Look at California. Look at the city that you grew up in. It's probably happening there as well. So I just wanted to share it with you. That's my thoughts on gentrification. I'm just giving you some information what it is. And you can do more research on it in your free time if you would like to know more about gentrification. And I am out of here on that note. Thank you for tuning in for Blacktober. I was so, I was very happy to kind of just talk about like issues facing the black community. And I hope that you all were able to learn something in the process. Um, don't forget that you can follow us on Instagram at Carefree and Black Diaries and also on Twitter at Carefree, B-L-K-P-O-D. And we'll see you next time in the next episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Stay black and carefree. See you next time. Bye, guys.